Hi, this is Mark Rabin. Before the episode, let me quickly tell you about my new book. It's titled Measures of Success. It's a book that will help you react less to your performance metrics, every up and down in those. It'll help you lead better. It'll help you improve more. So you can learn more about the book by going to www.measuresofsuccessbook.com or you can search Amazon. It's available as a print book, a Kindle book. It's available through Apple Books. I hope you'll check it out. Hi, this is Mark Raven. If you like this podcast, you might realize I have a blog, leanblog.org. Did you also know that I have another podcast called Lean Blog Audio? And there I basically, occasionally, or as often as I can, I read audiobook style versions of blog posts. So you can go to leanblog.org slash audio or search in your favorite podcast place for Lean Blog Audio. I hope that'll give you something else uh, that's food for thought, something else to help you in your lean journey. Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 240 of the podcast. It's January 26, 2016. My guest today is someone I've wanted to interview for a long time. She is Leah Binder. She's the president and CEO of Leapfrog Group. And Leapfrog Group is a a nonprofit based in Washington, D.C. They're described as, quote, a voluntary program aimed at mobilizing employer purchasing power to alert America's health industry that big leaps in healthcare safety, quality, and customer value will be recognized and rewarded. So in our discussion today, Leah will talk about the story behind LeapFrog Group, the scale of patient safety problems in America, some of their efforts to grade hospitals on their safety performance, um, grades made available to the public, uh, and, and some of the connections between lean and patient safety. So I would encourage you to um, check out their website and the hospital safety score website. Uh, if you go to leanblog.org slash 240, you can find links to these websites or, or you can find it really easily online. Um, you know, you find out how does your hospital measure up if you work at one? How do the hospitals in your community compare and what are the gaps that need to be closed to improve safety in some very um, specific ways? And you know, I'm also curious when we talk about this, um, how can large businesses who pay for healthcare and have their employees' interest in mind, manufacturers, for example, in a community, how can they put positive pressure on healthcare to improve? How can they help healthcare organizations improve? So again, for the post, go to leanblog.org slash 240. Thanks for listening. Well, Leah, it's great to talk to you today. I want to thank you for being a guest on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Mark. I'm excited. So can you start off, you know, for listeners um, who might not be uh, aware of you and LeapFrog Group, and and I I hope they are already, but can you introduce yourself and your background and um, how you got interested in patient safety? Sure. Um, The LeapFrog Group is a national nonprofit organization. We were founded 15 years ago by a group of business leaders from mostly very large companies like Marriott, GE, GM who came together because they were concerned about safety, patient safety in hospitals, and they were concerned about health costs, and they wanted to see what they could do about it as purchasers of health benefits. In many cases, purchasers spend more on health benefits than they um, earn in profits in a given year. So it's a very large concern for them, and they wanted to see what they could do better to make sure their employees and their families were getting 
the kind of care they want and deserve, and they were getting uh, value for their enormous investment in healthcare. So they formed Leapfrog as a way of um, really trying to use the market to 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 do that. I mean, these are business leaders not from healthcare, but they were in the world of business and they wanted to use the models of the free market to see if they could improve healthcare. And by that, they they meant that. Uh, they would like to see more uh, transparency about how hospitals are doing and allow their employees and them as purchasers to compare among hospitals on their relative um, <clears throat> quality and safety. And they wanted, uh, therefore, people to choose hospitals based on how safe they are and in doing so then drive a market for the highest quality care and encourage uh, hospitals to improve uh, in order to attract that market. So the it was a simple premise. It remains a simple premise of how we need to reform healthcare, which is to allow people to make decisions based on real information about how hospitals and how healthcare in general is doing. Uh, it's still a simple message. At the time, it was kind of revolutionary. People told those business leaders in the beginning, that's impossible. Um, there's no way you'll have enough information or it won't be credible uh, if you do get information. There's no way you're ever going to find out how these hospitals are doing. <clears throat> they don't want to tell you. They're not going to tell you. It's not going to work, blah, blah, blah. They were just mm -hmm. told all the reasons it wasn't going to work. They did it anyway. And what enables them to get information and still enables LeapFrog to get information today from hospitals that's otherwise unavailable about their safety and quality is that business leaders in the communities served by individual hospitals ask those hospitals to report to LeapFrog. So now we have hundreds of purchasers across the country, mostly employers, sometimes unions, uh, all nooks and crannies of this country, asking their local hospital to please report to LeapFrog. And so we get information that is available nowhere else and can be used either by consumers themselves to choose a safer hospital or by purchasers and health plans and others who are interested in value-based purchasing and other ways of really driving um, a better market for the best kind of healthcare. Mm -hmm. So that's what we do. Yeah, and you know it's such an important mission, and you know the the business leaders and back at the founding of Leapfrog Group and, and leaders today, you know the, they they have such a strong interest not just in healthcare costs but their employees' health and and the safety of healthcare, but it seems like even today, uh, you know, the, at least public perception is that everyone's aware of the cost problem or, you know, the lack of affordability. But it seems like far fewer pe people today even are, are talking about patient safety and quality. Why, why, why do you think that might be? I mean, trying to get more information and data out there will help. But it seems like it's just not on the front burner for a lot of folks. Well, I think it's a complicated problem that people have difficulty getting their arms around. Uh, it's a little bit it, less complicated to talk about the insanity of pricing in healthcare, um, and by that I mean uh, the New York Times ran a fantastic series of articles last year, by Elizabeth Rosenthal, talking about how the same procedure can cost you know forty thousand dollars in one hospital, uh, and then cost five thousand or something in another hospital right down the street. And you can look at those kinds of strange disparities and weirdness in the pricing in healthcare, and there's a story right there. I mean, mm -hmm. it's obvious there's a problem and issues that something's going on. Whereas with quality, 
it's very easy to get confused and say, well, this one has good outcomes, but that one has a high rate of complications, and you have to decide for yourself which is more important to you. Those things get complicated. But the fact that they're complicated doesn't mean they're any less important. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the variation in quality and outcomes and safety in hospitals is extraordinarily um, uh, persistent and a problem, a problematic. And there's no family in this country that shouldn't be absolutely focused on making sure they're going to the best possible places. Right. Because the difference between the best and the worst is very substantial and your life is at stake. So it is very important to, for us to get our arms around it. But it, it again, it's because it's complicated, I think it's, it's easier, uh, frankly, for some who would prefer that information not be made public, it's easier to obscure it. Mm -hmm. So I think for us and our challenge at LeapFrog has been and continues to be to simplify this message, to make it very clear to consumers what's at stake, what information they can use and how they use it to make these really critical decisions about where they go to seek care. Yeah, and in, in a way... Outcomes, you know, harm to a patient, death is is pretty. In in a way, you think that would be really easy to count, but it is obscured by, I guess, a, a whole process or question around how do we know a patient who's already sick died because of a preventable medical error? Um, I, I guess right. some of that's just a, a judgment call. Um, I guess that's why we have different studies with different estimates. What are your thoughts about that or the different estimates that are out there about uh, harm and death? Wh which numbers do you think are most credible? Well, <clears throat> I actually think that um, the science has come a long way in the past 15 years since LeapFrog started. Uh, and, it, uh, and although it was the same time as we started, it wasn't only because of us, though. I think LeapFrog has had an enormous influence in advocating for better transparency and quality reporting. But it wasn't only us by any means. And there's been some good research to figure out how you measure quality and safety. Um, there's an organization called the National Quality Forum, which endorses measures. There's been a, a, some very good research funded a lot by ARC and others that have really looked to understand how you measure that. Because what happens is if you say, well, uh, one hospital has a death rate from heart uh, surgery that is, you know, 12 percent. And the, the other one down the street has a rate of 25 percent. So does that mean that the one that's got the 25 percent rate is worse than the other one? Well, not necessarily. It could be that the one that's got the 25% rate actually sees sicker patients. They have maybe a physician who is an expert at dealing with extremely high-risk patients, but automatically would have a higher death rate simply because they're much more complex procedures. So you have to be able to standardize for how complex the procedure is. You have to be able to standardize for the kinds of things that come into play when you're comparing among um, providers uh, that would obscure that would skew the results so that you're not getting the information you need as a consumer. So mm -hmm. um, all that to say we, that's changed. And we now have some pretty good measures so that we can compare apples to apples. When we say one hospital has this rate for this procedure and the other hospital has this rate for this procedure, you can look at that as a consumer and say, oh, well, this one seems to be better. And that will be true because there are very, very good measures out there. But it's taken us a long time to get there because no one demanded it before. And for that, I, I will say LeapFrog's had a big impact. We've put the demand in the market for information so that we can compare among hospitals. Mm -hmm. And that has made a big 
difference for all of us, not just consumers, but hospitals themselves. They compete on quality. Yeah. And, and you're saying, you know, in terms of some of the measures that you're collecting and reporting, these, these get very granular and, and specific. There, there's also, you know, the, I guess the big picture estimates, um, the report to Air is Human from 16 years ago, I, I think they estimated a range of 44,000 to 98,000. There's different estimates of one or 200,000 deaths in the United States each year. Um, is, is there a certain, is, is there, I mean, it's a big problem either way. Is there a, a number that you think patient safety experts can you know, find most reliable? Well, the number that uh, most of the experts we've been working with have started to use is, was in the Journal of Patient Safety, and it says anywhere from 200,000 to 440,000 deaths per year. Um, and the, the, those numbers are so astronomical that it's, it's hard to believe that could ever mm -hmm. be true. But I'll tell you why uh, I think, uh, for example, Lucian Leap, who's really the founder of the movement, has started to to think that that study may actually be the one that we should be looking at for understanding the rate of mortality, is that over this period of time, I would say the last two decades, where we've really advanced the science, we have begun to identify even more ways in which errors and accidents and mishaps, things that we don't want to have happen at a hospital, do in fact happen. And we've actually expanded the range of those uh, of our understanding of them and actually identified more of them. So uh, an example would be misdiagnosis. This is a new, uh, entirely new, uh, it's not a new concept, but it's, it's a new idea that we may ultimately be able to measure or at least get some gauge on how frequently there's a misdiagnosis that results in harm to the patient. The um, uh, Institute of Medicine just put out a, a very uh, widely regard. Uh, highly um, discussed report back in the fall on, on misdiagnosis and what can be done about it also requires a systems approach. It's not about one person making a mistake. It's about uh, a system that doesn't catch a mistake. So um, in, in any case, those kind that advancement has actually led us down a road of finding even more problems than we thought existed in, in the past. So I would say that um, uh, Right now, we're still trying to count the bodies, uh, mm. and we're still trying to understand the extent of the, of the problem. We're even still trying to understand what the problem is. <laughs> yeah. So I think we're still we're still in an early stage, but we're farther along than we were. Wanted to um, go back and, and ask a bit of a follow up when you talked about um, you know companies uh, asking hospitals to um, give information to Leapfrog Group. Um, how many hospitals do you find? Is there a percentage that are just unwilling? to share that sort of data involuntarily, or to share it voluntarily? Well, we uh, officially ask uh, about 4,000 hospitals to report to us. And we've had a record year this year, more than any year in LeapFrog's history by far. We've had uh, 1,750 hospitals reported in 2015. So we were very pleased. That's a lot of hospitals. And a lot of them are larger hospitals. So we now are covering probably more than half the beds in inpatient beds in the in the country mm -hmm. but we still aren't you know there's that's still a lot of hospitals that are declining to report uh, despite the it, the request from their local um, you know their local employers uh, so we're still uh, we're still not where we, we want to be I will tell you that there's a lot of reasons hospitals have given us over the years or have given our employer members over the years for not reporting to us. Um, and 
those reasons, I think, really come down to uh, uh, not having a culture of transparency. They just aren't used to the idea that they would make public information that's so sensitive to them. And I truly think that hospitals, once they get past that initial uh, fear of making public what they haven't had to make public in the past, once they get past that that fear and they start to actually immerse themselves in transparency, mm-hmm. it changes. Typically, hospitals that start reporting to us keep going because they get so much value out of it. They had not realized until they started, they took that plunge, how important that would be for them internally. You know, forget they're positioning themselves in the market in a positive way as a transparent uh, uh, provider. That's a a great value. But what they've also found is a value is it really galvanizes quality improvement in a way that nothing else does. Mm -hmm. So uh, but it takes a plunge. It's a different way of thinking about how you do your business. So I do think for hospitals, pushing them to the edge to take that plunge has been our challenge. And I'm, I'm sure it can sting some of these hospitals. You know, there's the, the hospital safety score initiative. Maybe you can um, explain mm-hmm. that a little bit for the listeners. But if, you know, if a hospital thinks, you know, that, well, they think our quality is good and they get a C or a D on the hospital safety score, um, do, do you find, you know, I guess the question is, do organizations find that uh, motivating and a rallying cry or do they complain about the grade? I guess it's the same as any student might do, right? <laughs> yeah, it's both. Same as it would be for any student, right? Um, both. We get lots of complaints, certainly, and I understand that. And we also um, hear the rallying cry. But I, I will tell you, uh, the hospital safety score, to me, has been very successful, in particular, in one area. And that is getting the attention of hospitals to focus on quality improvement or safety improvement in the case of the hospital safety score. I think this has had an enormous impact on hospital leadership, meaning both the boards and the uh, C-suites, in getting their attention paid to their safety record and how they can improve. Uh, Now, this is anecdotal. I will not tell you I did some big study on this, but I can tell you that virtually every hospital leader I have spoken with said that uh, getting less than an A got their attention and preserving their A also gets their attention. I've talked to numerous board members from various hospitals that say their board had been hearing for years how great this hospital is on safety. And then we open up the paper and on the front page, it says we get a C Mm -hmm. from the leapfrog group for hospital safety score. We look at that C and that comes up in the board meeting. They want an answer. And it's not that easy to just say, well, leapfrog is just this crazy organization. It's not, you know, our science is meticulous. Our expert panel is a dream team of the top national experts on patient safety, and we're totally transparent about how we got to that C. So it is, um, it's not as easy to dismiss as perhaps other things might be. And that gets the right attention. So I am very excited about the fact that we are seeing this level of effort and, and, and true competition now among hospitals to, to get to that A to really show that they care about safety, that they're making a difference in safety. And I think more than that's more than anything else that's going to change things. I'm also hearing, by the way, related to that, that health systems in particular are actually um, putting the safety score into compensation contracts. Mm. We're hearing about it. Uh, 
I ran into uh, the head of HR for one of the largest hospital networks in the country, and she said, oh, you do the hospital safety score. Well, that's a mandatory question for any CEO candidate for any of their hospitals. Mandatory question, what is your hospital safety mm -hmm. score? Mm -hmm. So that's going to change things because, you know, Ashish Jha, my friend from Harvard, he always said something that I think is so important. The minute, uh, the day that a hospital CEO gets fired because the hospital's <laughs> not safe, we'll see the change, the complete change in safety across yeah. the country. And um, so now I'm not saying I want all the CEOs to be fired. By no right. means. I don't want that. But I do see that people need to feel like safety really, really matters. Mm -hmm. Uh, to them, to their jobs, to their their industry. Yeah, I, mean, I think it is telling, though. I mean, you you raise an interesting point there. Um, yeah, I sort of you know uh, uh, raised the issue before uh, how you know auto industry CEOs get called in front of Congress to testify over uh, product safety issues that that you know you know lead to ten or twenty. Uh, deaths across the country. I, I don't think the same thing is happening um, with hospital CEOs being not that calling people in front of Congress necessarily helps any more than firing people does. But I mean, I think it just kind of speaks to the lack of public attention around the issue that that CEOs aren't being uh, called on the carpet to, to explain the results or what they're going to do to improve safety. Right. That's such a, a good point. I think uh, we haven't looked at patient safety the way we do harm in other industries. I think it's partly because it happens on an individual basis. And a lot of people think it's their family's the only one that ever went through this. Mm -hmm. They don't realize that it's endemic. I mean, everyone I've ever talked to has a story of a safety problem in a hospital. If they've been to a hospital, they've had a problem, at least from my own experience. But, um, but they think it's just them. And so I think there's partly that. I think also the people in hospitals, um, you know, are frankly, they're very sick. That's why they're there. And I think there's some, in perhaps in the back of our minds, there's some sense that, well, you know, you go to a hospital, you, you might die. That's what happens. So maybe, maybe that's all this is, is just people dying because they're sick. But in fact, that's not the case. And that's why it's so important for us to look at um, preventable errors and accidents that are harming people. And not everyone in a hospital is that sick that they should die. But unfortunately, you can go into a hospital for a minor procedure and not come out. Mm -hmm. um, so it is extremely important for us to get a handle on this. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, you kind of bring up that job scenario, uh, job interview scenario of somebody ask a hospital CEO, what was the score where you were before? Um, I mean, it's possible they don't know, which would be telling. Or secondly, if the score is low, that would be telling. But in, in my experience, I, I wonder if, you know, the, it seems like a lot of CEOs think they can delegate safety. You know, we've hired a quality person. If, if there are safety problems, we'll blame and punish the individuals involved. Um, you know, if you look at surveys done every year by the American College for Healthcare Executives, I think the thing that's most telling Curious to hear your reaction to when they ask hospital CEOs, what are your top concerns? Patient safety almost always consistently, it does come in consistently fourth behind issues like finances, um, health reform. You know, it's just, it seems like, you know, the CEOs are focused on the financial piece, which is important um, compared to, say, Paul O'Neill, you know, who you spoke um, yeah, I was really happy to see you speak at your uh, recent LeapFrog Group event. Paul O'Neill took safety very seriously and uh, was very responsible for it as CEO. So I'm, I'm curious what you know, what your thoughts are on, on, on that whole 
approach or, or mindset? Well, patient safety in hospitals, in the healthcare industry, doesn't tie to finance, typically, um, and, or at least not explicitly. So, you know, when we, when we look at the data on how, what happens when a hospital is unsafe, um, the, the, the people who pay for that lack of safety financially are the, the payers, the, the, you know, the, the purchasers like our, my members the, uh, and uh, those who are paying the bills. That's who pays for it. So um, the best example of that was the study in JAMA back in 2013. Um, Etul Gawande was one of the authors, and it talked about how much extra was paid when there was a surgical site infection at this hospital network in the South. And they found that on average, Medicare paid $3,000 extra every time there was a surgical site infection on average and then but commercially insured meaning my members purchasers paid $39,000 extra so the money that is covering the cost of problems and complications and errors and just all of the issues that are associated with patient safety the money that pays for that is coming from the payers it is not necessarily true it can be but it is not necessarily true that the hospital is feeling the sting now you take another industry and it's inconceivable that you would pass off mm -hmm. all the costs of your error onto a, uh, onto a consumer. And that's why they are very safety conscious because they don't want to pay those extra costs. Mm -hmm. So um, and now Paul O'Neill is extraordinary and he put an extraordinary amount of attention to safety. So I don't want to, he was amazing when he spoke at that event. But mm -hmm. um, so safety is a concern for every industry, but the financial incentives in healthcare make it very easy to put safety forth on your list. Mm -hmm. The financial incentives in most other industries uh, make it catastrophic for you to put safety forth on your list. Right. So if, if that's um, maybe a systemic barrier to safety improvement, the, the, the reimbursement and payment system, that's pretty much uniform across the U.S. So what are some of the other factors, though? Why is there, as you mentioned earlier, uh, a large gap between the best safety performers and the lowest safety performers? Well, we, we had a little Twitter conversation, mm -hmm. you and myself and one other, um, a couple other people, yeah. about leadership in hospitals and how important that is and to galvanize a culture, which is also very important. I do think leadership is critical. I have had the privilege of touring a good number of hospitals, and honestly, I can, uh, I can always spot an ex exceptional performer. I can't always tell the difference between average and, you know, above average. That you can't tell from the people, you know, just on a quick tour. But I can tell the exceptional ones often. Um, and one of the factors of an exceptionally high-performing hospital, and I'll give the example of Virginia Mason, which does use Lean and Six Sigma and Toyota model. They, they've used some very important and cutting-edge um, strategies for improving their quality, and they work because their quality data, and, and I don't say this lightly, their quality data is exceptionally good. Mm -hmm. But what you notice out of Virginia Mason when you're touring is that they are restless. They are not, they, they're, uh, they're unsatisfied. Mm. They never say, oh, we're, well, look how great we did on this, period. They say, well, we're doing really well. We're really proud of this. We've got all this reporting going on of, uh, and we've seen a real decline in X. But we got to do better than that. We still have two or three of these every year and we got to get down to zero and here's what we're doing. And they're just never satisfied with their own performance. And I think you, Mark, at, uh, at our annual meeting last year talked about 
the importance of thinking about your quality improvement as an ongoing process. Mm-hmm. You're never ever satisfied. It's if you're satisfied, you're not doing lean right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that I thought was just such an important point. I think oftentimes hospitals have it one campaign, you know, let's get rid of let's bring the central line infections down to zero. That's our campaign for the year. We get there, congratulations, pop the champagne, we're done. That's not how it works. That's not the best way to do quality improvement. You actually have to see it as a journey that never ends, that you're always on and that you're restless and you never satisfy yourself until you do better and better and better. That's what I see in the exceptionally high-performed hospitals. But leadership is critical to that. You have to have a leader who's restless, a leader who's pushing, a leader who's never satisfied with a a good answer. They want a better answer. And I think that's what I do see. The twist, I would say, though, it's not just about being that great leader, but being an accountable leader. Mm. I think it is so important that boards, that fellow staff, that medical staff, that that hold leaders accountable for the results, whether it's in your compensation contract or it's in your public displays or public uh, awards. It's in a variety of ways to hold leaders accountable. If they're not accountable, for getting that performance, for pushing for that performance, then it won't happen no matter how good the leader is. Accountability is a critical factor that's often missing in healthcare. And it's, you know, it's really interesting. You, you have that observation about being restless, never satisfied. I mean, that that is something I would recognize as being sort of a, a core lean mindset, this, uh, you know, this pursuit of perfection, realizing, you know, we're not going to be perfect next month or next year, but, you know, we're kind of driven um, to challenge ourselves against absolute goals of uh, zero harm or 100% compliance on um, you know, certain protocols or, or checklists. Um, that, that is very much a, a Toyota principle. And I think I, it seems like you know, that's one that's not easily copied. You know, um, you know, for an audience, you know, we're, we're talking to an audience here that, that knows Lean and understands the challenges of, well, you know, it's easy to copy Lean tools, but if you plug those tools into a different environment, you might not get the same results. Um, so mm-hmm. it's just, it's interesting to see where I wonder if there are organizations, if there are organizations out there that already have that sort of mindset, even just regardless or independent of lean, it seems like that would be fertile soil uh, for, for bringing in some other lean practices, that, that level of leadership and accountability and if you will, just energy for mm-hmm. never being satisfied, not just being top quartile even, right? I think it's, um, and I have seen it in organizations that that don't uh, necessarily have a lean um, mm-hmm. strategy, but they are somehow you see it. You can you see the spark of that, and you know it sounds almost depressing to call it restlessness, I guess, but it isn't. I think part of the problem with burnout that we're seeing among physicians and nurses comes in part from being satisfied with mediocrity, mm-hmm. uh, from from cultures that say, well. We're doing okay, we're fine, and we know we're not fine. But we all say we're fine because we don't want to have to rock the boat and we don't want we got enough to deal with without having to deal with that, blah, blah, blah. But that is if that's your life work is caring for patients and and um and restoring their health and, and making a difference in their lives, if that's your life work and your passion, you should never be satisfied. You mm-hmm. should always want to do better and better. That's what's going to galvanize us. That's what gets us up in the morning is having that incredible life purpose that comes with a career in healthcare. So I actually think that the the 
that feeling of wanting to never ever be satisfied with with without anything short of perfection mm -hmm. is what's needed to really inject excitement and enthusiasm back into healthcare settings where there's this um, there's this feeling of, of burnout mm -hmm. and so maybe as we as we start to wrap up here um sort of talk about um the different stakeholders in, in the health system and awareness about these problems because we're still far from perfection in healthcare. I think even the best organizations would acknowledge that so you've talked about you know the hospitals and their leaders being aware of the problems uh the payers becoming more aware of the problems what can we do or what still needs to be done on the patient side because i, I still think there's a lot of just sort of blind faith or trust in the healthcare system. I think people are, are still um, very willing to just go where their doctor recommends or to go to the hospital that's closest or to choose the hospital that seems to have the nicest, um, you know, physical design. Um, it, how, how, what, what do we still need to do to help people realize that, you know, A, there is still a problem here and B, that they should go out and do research and, and try to find information from groups like Leapfrog Group? How, how do we reach more people about that? I actually think that the new emphasis on price transparency that we talked about earlier, this new, um, it's really a movement to try and help consumers uh, know how much ex or anticipate how much a particular procedure or office visit is going to cost them, that that new emphasis is opening the door for consumers to think differently about how they select a provider and to think differently about their role in the healthcare system. Because as you said, I think traditionally patients think of their role as to do whatever their doctor tells them to do. And so when suddenly you pay more of it out of your pocket, which unfortunately or fortunately, however you think of the world, um, consumers are paying a lot more out of their pocket now. Mm -hmm. and you are suddenly concerned about how much that's going to be, your second question, after you ask the first question, which is how much is that going to, that going to cost me, that procedure, your second question is always, well, why is it costing one thing at one place and another thing at another? What's the difference? What's the difference? And the difference is a quality question. Is it better quality at the hospital that's lower cost or not? And when people start asking that question and recognizing that they do have a role and a big stake in picking among them, then I think that will change. It's a cultural shift that we have to see happening. But I'm seeing the tipping point coming because mm -hmm. of this, because again, I think people have entered this questioning uh, through the door of pricing. And I think that's where it's going to start. Yeah. And I think there's also the counterintuitive idea um, of the relationship between cost and quality in healthcare, I'm sure a lot of people might say, well, I'll pay, I'm willing to pay more for better quality when I've seen a lot of data that suggests that, well, actually, if you, if all you had was cost data, that lower cost tends to be in line with better quality, which I, I think for, for somebody in the lean methodology would realize that, that that's possible and that makes sense. But I think that is really counterintuitive to a lot of people about where they think quality comes from. It doesn't come from spending more. It comes from having better systems, better processes, reducing waste. And that, that has, I think, you know, the happy double benefits of um, improving quality and cost at the same time. How do you see that? 
absolutely that's absolutely the case however i would i would add one additional um twist to what you're saying which is the fact that in healthcare at least from what we can see price which is different by the way from cost cost is what it costs the institution to provide price is what they're charging you you and charge i hate that word because we always think of medicare charges and it's not charge either it's <laughs> what price is what um uh, what mark graben is expected to pay for that visit um that's the price and so prices and quality and safety data rarely match so we rarely they're, they're sort of all over the board there can be some very low priced providers that are providing excellent quality and some are providing poor quality mm-hmm. you see that in, in all over there's really because pricing has not in, been associated with quality in sure. the past never had to be so that's changing and that will change when more people start asking all those questions and wondering um, I think that's called that's what happens in a market Mm-hmm. And it, it changes things very rapidly. Yeah, yeah, and, and thank you for bringing up that point. Yeah, you're right. P- cost and price are, are different uh, different things, and it seems like a lot of healthcare pricing is based on um, the relative size of the organization. It's you know, it's a, at least among private payers, you know, our health system is relatively large, so we can put pressure on the insurer to pay less, or vice versa. We're a huge insurer; we we can bring lots of patients to you, therefore. We have, um, you know, the the size and leverage to force prices down. That 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 dance, it seems, has very little to do with the data around quality and safety, right? Right, and the pricing has been entirely driven by by those considerations. How, what's our position in the market? What can we get away with? And also, and the market being for payers, not for uh-huh. individual consumers. And in addition, it's been driven by what government tends to do, which is to um, base it off costs, what you say are your costs, what we agree are your costs, however we do that. And, um, you know, when you look in literature about pricing for other industries and, you know, B-school textbooks on pricing, the word cost barely comes up. It's really not a factor of costs or maybe marginal costs a little bit. You have to consider it, but that's not the, that's not what pricing strategy is about at all. Uh, and that is usually perplexing to people in healthcare because they can't uh, they they can't they can't understand that because so much of it is driven by uh, costs or at least ostensibly by costs mm-hmm. in healthcare and it's a completely different world uh, when we when we take the veil of uh, down uh, and we look at healthcare and with the cold eye of a free market mm-hmm. it changes. Yeah, and that's a great point. And I think you know the the lean thinkers in the audience will recognize you know even the Toyota books from. You know, decades ago, point out the idea that you know prices are set by the market, and if you can reduce cost, you increase profitability. If your costs go up, you're not entitled to go ask your customer for more because well, you know the customer will find alternatives. The customer, the market will punish you. And I think healthcare is one of those industries that's still trying to get over the old mindset of well, our costs are higher, we'll just charge more. That that's right. not going to fly. Exactly. That is exactly right. And the word that best embodies that mindset is the word reimbursement. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, you don't go to Walmart and buy, you know, you don't buy, I don't go to Walmart, buy a toaster and reimburse them for the cost of them having provided me a toaster. I don't reimburse. Walmart. I might yeah. decide not to buy it there. I might go somewhere else. They're not entitled to a reimbursement. They just lost it because they didn't give me the right choice. So the um, reimbursement is a word that embodies that cultural that culture and the, the, the change that's happening now is it's payment yeah and payment's different 
that I've never heard anyone point that out, but now you, uh, that, that, that's really insightful of, of the meaning. The words tell you uh, <laughs> a yeah. lot about the thinking. So well, as, we, as we wrap up here, um, you know, I do want to encourage people who are listening to check out LeapFrog Group's website. You can also go to hospital safety score. Dot org. Um, I'm scrolling through the hospitals closest to me. Uh, I see A, C, C, A, 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 B, A. Well, there's a lot of A's, but then I see, you know, the just uh, jumps out at me. The, uh, the public safety net hospital in Fort Worth has a score of a D, while its counterpart on the Dallas side of town has an A. So that even just in a, in a microcosm probably exposes the difference. Those are two hospitals very similar in, in, in size and scope and mission. And there's a big variation um, as played out in those scores. I, I think that uh, it, we focus entirely on safety. So in other words, the bad things you don't want to have happen when you go to a hospital. Our score, that letter grade, A, B, C, D, or F, is not focused on how well the hospital does at the procedures you go to them for. So it's not considering the quality element. The how do they do? Do you, you know, are, is how how well do they do in certain surgeries or something? We're just asking the question: What's their complication rate? What's your likelihood of getting an infection? Of having a, a error made on your medications that harms you? Those kinds of things that you don't want to have happen. That's what the letter grade's about. How safe are you in that hospital? And that is different, but it's critical. It should come first. You, you safety first. Yep. Right? You don't want to go to a hospital that's not going to take care of you uh, before and after the procedure when you are at a vulnerable state. So right. these right. are very important. And it's also why it doesn't track with what you think. So the b big brands in healthcare, the big names in healthcare, they don't all get A's by any means. Mm -hmm. And that's because they're not always focused on safety the way they should be. And hopefully, uh, by at least raising the question of why didn't you get an A, uh, when a few patients do that to some of the physicians and others at the hospital, that will change things. Well, I want to thank you, Leah, for raising those questions and for all of your work and advocacy and everything you're doing to um, help you know, uh, improve patient safety. Um, again, my um, guest has been Leah Binder from uh, LeapFrog Group. Thank you so much for uh, being a guest today. Well, thank you, Mark, and thanks for all your uh, good work getting us there as well. I think we're, you've really made a difference yourself. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.